Nick's going to make his way up here, and I just wanted to uh, take a moment and pray for him, but also encourage you, if you don't know Nick uh, and Carol at all, I encourage you to uh, make a point to get to know them. It's fitting that our theme this morning is loving one another. I think that there's one characteristic about Nick and Carol uh, that I've learned in my almost two years of being here. It's how they love other people. Uh, they're incredible hosts, and uh, they have a deep passion for, for, for relating with people and loving them and, and for their love of the church. So we're excited to hear from you, brother, this morning. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you again for the opportunity we have to, to gather. And uh, God, I'm grateful for Nick and his testimony. God, I'm grateful for faithful men that we have among our body, that uh, it doesn't have to be just left up to, to those we call pastors, but we can, we can pass the baton, so to speak, onto faithful men who are qualified and able to teach. And Nick certainly is one of those. And we're grateful for him and the many others we have in this church. We pray for him this morning that he would come and, and preach in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thank you, uh, thank you, brother, for those kind words. Uh, as as uh, as Chris said earlier, Pastor Will is on vacation, and um, I'm praying that he uh, not only gets the rest that he uh, needs, the rest that he deserves, um, but also praying he doesn't come back with um, any sermon illustrations of a car breaking down <laughs> while he's on <laughs> vacation, as, as seems to be the case. I was really honored when he um, invited me. Uh, to share and then I kind of thought about it I was like well wait a second this is spring break week and then it occurred to me later on this like well wait a second this is the week where we spring forward and you know I was thinking is that really an honor and I was like well wait a second everyone's got <laughs> everyone's going to be hungry a little bit later so if I go over time um, maybe they'll be more gracious with me and then my wife said well wait a second I'm serving in the nursery you are not going <laughs> a minute <laughs> over um, <laughs> your allotted allotted time and I'm thankful for her that serves and I'm also thankful I get to wear this watch that I didn't adjust when we reset our clocks in the fall <laughs> so <laughs> um, I hope that what, what I share today will complement what we've been learning in Ephesians um, if it's all right even though we prayed already let me pray again um, father we pray that you would open our eyes and um, that your word, Lord, would speak to us and produce the fruits that are pleasing to you. May it increase our love and devotion to you and to one another and to a lost word, world. And Father, we pray now that you would um, make your word live to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I thought of... Um, I thought of a suggestion that we could do this morning. I was um, thinking of a good illustration to kind of get things going here. And, and I thought what we could do, uh, just as a thought, is um, since Pastor Will is gone, we could perhaps bring a um, suggestion box forward and um, place it right here uh, in the center. And then what we could do is uh, have the ushers... Um, if we still have ushers, I think, pass out some um, pieces of paper, one piece of paper, um, and some pens or pencils, and we would all write down um, anonymous suggestions about how we as a church can um, better ourselves, um, go from glory to glory, um, become better in our mission of making Christ known to those around us. Um, now you only get one piece of paper. <laughs> and um, 
this is a rhetorical question that I'm asking right now, so I don't want people to jump in on this one. But if we were to do that, um, how many suggestions do you think you could come up with? Where would we start? Where would we uh, choose to end? What improvements would you suggest? Maybe the first thing that would come to your mind is um, improvements we can make on the building itself. We've been in this building for almost 20 years, and over 20 years, some things have a natural wear and tear that need to be fixed up or improved upon. Uh, some of the styles that we have here, um, such as the car carpeting may be out of date, for instance. The purpose of the building may change as well. Or you might have a suggestion on the programs that we use here in the church to move um, our ministries forward, or perhaps on the staffing of who should be leading those programs or the curriculum that should be um, taught. Perhaps your um, suggestions are more related to the aesthetics, like the decor, how we use lighting, um, how we would use the pulpit, the style of, of pulpit um, that we would use, or how we teach, what we teach on, uh, what translation of Bible we, we should use, and, and the list could go on and on and on, but how many pages of suggestions do you think we could come up with? I think we're being honest, um, as I've tried to look at my heart in this, um, we could all come up with at least a few suggestions. I also think that we, sh um, we could give uh, the benefit of the doubt to one another, knowing that our heart is to see the church move forward. The heart, our heart is to, to want to see people in the kingdom uh, move forward and people to come to know the Lord. And some of those suggestions may be well-intended. And some of those are important. Like for instance, we should have an opinion on what we teach, and a very narrow opinion on that, that it should never stray from the Word of God. And again, they're all good things. But I hope you're not disappointed today that we're not going to be passing out pencils and, and pens and taking suggestions. Chris is smiling. <laughs> um, we're not going to do that today. And part, of, part of me was curious, <laughs> wondering what we could come up with. Um, but then part of me also thought, well, Pastor Will might be watching this online. <laughs> and I'd hate for two weeks or maybe two months to go by. And we're asking the question, when is he going to be coming back <laughs> from his <laughs> vacation? Um, my purpose in starting off this way is to get us to start thinking. Um, number one, to realize when we're talking about uh, unity as a church, um, think about how many of our preferences can, can sometimes play into that and, and create a, a difficulty to stay unified and, and, and to stay um, on mission. But also, um, the flip side of that is, is um, to help us realize that in our hearts, there is um, a tendency in each of our hearts to put primary importance on our preferences in order to see the kingdom of God move forward and advance. And if we're not careful, uh, we can add on to our mission. We can add on 
um, to the gospel with, with secondary things or tertiary things and make those things the primary things. Um, we can put our efforts and our energy into those things. And if we're really not careful, we can put our confidence in those things and trust in those things um, to help reconcile us to God. You're familiar with um, Santayana's quote, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. We, we hear it oftentimes in our culture. Well, this happens um, over and over in church history, as well as in biblical history, that we can repeatedly lose our focus on our mission and from making the gospel known by moving away from the main elements of the gospel and forgetting them or adding to them. And ironically, when we add to them, it actually takes away from the gospel. In recent history, just 500 years ago, we had a reformation. Recent history because history is relative, right? <laughs> Compared to ancient history, that's recent history. And the reason we had a reformation is because we, the church, had moved away from the essential elements of the gospel and added man-made traditions to it. And so the church leaders, those who participate in the Reformation, turn back to the essentials or the solas um, of Christianity, of the Christian faith, proclaiming uh, sola meaning alone, sola scriptura, God alone, or excuse me, sola scriptura, scripture alone, saying scripture is our hope, scripture is what we trust, and we trust in the inerrant word of God. This is our source for our faith, as well as solus Christus, meaning Christ alone. Christ is the person of our faith. We are trusting in him and him alone to mediate between us and God. And from that also we count, we, we have sola fide, faith alone. We don't put our faith in anything or add on to it. We put our faith in the work of Christ, and we trust in that. And from that we have sola gratia. It is by grace alone that we are saved. We do not add to it. It is a gift of God. It is the mercy of God. That is what our hope is in. And from that, sola deo gloria, to God be all the glory. Because if we could add to our salvation, it would take glory away from God. No, God is the complete, complete Savior of us all, and to him belongs all the glory. We do not take one bit of it away. And these doctrines our gift to the church to keep us humble and to keep us straying away from, from what God has done for us and what he has provided and to turn away from our mission and turning towards man-made traditions. They safeguard us from that. Not only do we see this happening in history, we see this happening um, in the Bible as well. In the Old Testament, for instance, God gave his people 10 straightforward commands. And the first four deal with loving him supremely. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not create any idols for yourself. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And you shall keep the Sabbath day and set it apart for God. And then the last six, working out from that, relate to how we relate to one another. You shall 
honor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or bear false witness, and you shall not covet. But by the time of Christ, um, the Pharisees, the religious order, had added on to those commands and to the law. And some of that was, again, out of good motivation, perhaps. They wanted to create like a buffer zone so that, well, obey this rule, and that way you don't have to worry about breaking some of these main rules here. But they added on. And by the time of Christ, there were over a thousand, there were a thousand plus extra biblical regulations that they had added on to the law. And what I love about the Gospels, and when you see Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of the day, or, or in fact with anybody, is that Jesus would always get to what's most important. He would always come back to the heart of the matter, to the um, essentials. And you can turn, if you want, to um, Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to um, read a passage starting verse uh, 28. And this is where um, an expert in law, um, a scribe, came upon what seems to be um, an open-air dispute that the religious leaders are having with Jesus. They're asking him a, a number of questions. Um, and then he had an opportunity to ask a question of his own. Now, Scripture again says that uh, he was a scribe, which means that he would have been considered knowledgeable, very knowledgeable, even an expert in the law. So he knew not only the Ten Commandments and the law, but also uh, all these 1,000 plus extra stipulations that the Pharisees have added. And in verse 28, he asked a question that had probably been weighing very heavily on his heart. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, and I imagine there was um, maybe even a, tone of relief in his voice when he said this you are right teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all of our heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now in this uh, passage, um, Jesus is, is, in his answer, is quoting from uh, Deuteronomy, and he's summarizing uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and therefore the entire vertical line, or the entire line, again, there's a vertical element to it, which is the first four commandments, to love God supremely, and then there's the horizontal um, element of it which is to love your neighbor as yourself and some of the things which are just important to keep in mind is that the first is the first and the second is the second and there is an order as we discussed already this morning um, 
to our worship and to our obedience. And it doesn't work in the opposite order. You don't start with loving your neighbor as yourself in order to love God. And one doesn't work without the other. And the emphasis here is on you. You shall. But Jesus also told the scribe in this that he was not far from the kingdom of God. He had an understanding. And yet he he was not far from the kingdom of God. We should, we should take note of that. Obedience um, to the law does not reconcile us to God because we're all lawbreakers. We all break it. But it is a tutor that shows us our need for mercy and our need for a savior. It holds a, a mirror up before us and shows us that we, in our fallenness, do not measure up to God's perfect standard, neither in our thoughts or in our deeds. We are all sinners. We are all unlike, unlike a holy God. So even though, again, this scribe had the necessary understanding of the law, and it is understanding, necessary to understand the law and the order of the law he was still apart from god why because if his hope was in following the law if his hope was in his obedience to the law and being a good person in doing his best or like most of us here doing better than the next guy right <laughs> or hitler i'm no hitler right or if his hope was in that, being good on a human level, he was still lost. Now, the love of God is not a bad thing because God's law is perfect. God's law is good. But if your hope, again, is to be reconciled to an infinite, infinite perfect, and holy God, is by you a finite, imperfect, and sinful human doing your best, to obey the law, you will fall infinitely short of God's perfect standards. A proper understanding of God's law, if we were to have a proper understanding of it, um, and of who we are by contrast to who he is, would produce the opposite of hope. It will reveal that we are not perfect that we are far from perfect, that we are, are sinners in our, in our hearts, in our hearts, each of our hearts resides all manner of evil and wickedness and that we stand in a position of eternal condemnation before a holy God deserving his wrath for eternity. But the good news of the Bible is that while man can do nothing, absolutely nothing to reconcile himself to God or to uphold God's law, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man fulfilled the law perfectly. Matthew 5 tells us that Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Romans 10 tells us that while we, while we did not submit to God's righteousness, 
Christ did. You can turn um, your Bibles to John chapter 13. Now, there are 21 um, chapters in the book of John. And if you were um, to read it from start to finish, you'd notice that there's um, a regular pace or a cadence. He moves the story um, forward until you get to chapter 13. And you get to chapter 13, and then the story almost um, turns to a crawl. And John chooses to spend time um, talking to the church, talking about his last hours with Jesus and what Jesus taught the disciples right before he went um, to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And um, these are his final words before we go to the cross. And he writes them them to reassure, in in these five chapters, to reassure them that, in, in, that he's in control, that he's got it, that he's still going to take care of them, that this is all part of, of God's plan and to emphasize in his final moments what he wants them to remember, what he wants them to focus on. Again, coming back to the essentials. In verse 1, um, it starts with these words, Now before the feast of Passover, of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end literally means, if we were to do a literal translation of that, to the end literally means he loved them to perfection. He perfectly loved his own. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them with the fullness of his love. And you see in this chapter, uh, he doesn't just tell them. He shows them. He's about to die, and he's more concerned about them than he's about himself. He takes off his outer cloak, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he starts, he starts washing their feet. Think about that. Just think about that. He's about to die. John starts off his gospel <laughs> saying that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh right and dwelt among us. He created everything, and he came to his own creation. <laughs> and here's the, the maker, the creator of the universe about to go through torture and he's washing their feet. Praise God. And then after sharing a meal with them, He sends off Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray him, and having his disciples, who he had a particular love for, he instructs them. In verses 34 and 35, 
a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A new commandment. And there are several things um, that we should note in this command. Uh, number one, as it says here, it is a new command. Well, wait a minute, you said, I, I thought we just uh, talked about how the law was summarized in loving God wholeheartedly and loving our neighbors as yourself. And how is this, how is this one different? Well, it's different in that the initiative to obey comes from the top down. The law, the law condemns us. Why? Because it starts with our obligation to meet God's perfect standards, and we totally fail to do it. Remember, it's, it's to show us um, our need for a Savior. But Jesus, who is our Savior, loved God perfectly, and he obeyed him perfectly. And in doing so, he was able to substitute himself for the penalty of sin that we deserve when he went to the cross. And again, because he is God, he was able to cancel the debt of the law to God once and for all, to all who would put their trust in him and give to them who would put their trust in him his righteousness as a free gift. So therefore, as recipients of this gift, we are now free to love and to love one another and to love one another as, as Christ loved us. As Will put it a few weeks ago, um, we have the freedom to explore God's love and how to love people the way that, that God loves them because love, again, is generated from Christ's fulfillment and not from our achievements. Another thing we should note is um, how have we been loved? And again, in this, um, in this chapter, we've been loved perfectly. Just as I have loved you is what it says here. And it's a specific type of love. It's not the way that the world loves. It is the way that God the Father loves God the Son and God the Spirit from eternity past, how they love on one another. That's what's being manifested to us. The love of God, as we read earlier in, in 1 John 3, is defined. Is defined by what it is and what it is not. Because God is holy, meaning other, because he is perfect, his love is only for things that are good. And by contrast, he must hate the things that are evil. The love of God is not how our society or our world defines it, such as feeling or anything goes, but is specific to who he is and his order. John 3 gives us a contrast of his love for from, from the way that the world loves. And this is so important to understand because 
you know what you hear so much these days when people reject Christ or reject the fellowship and show themselves not to be believers? Well, <laughs> you say you love, but you don't love. And so often what they're saying is, you don't love the things which I love. And the things which I love are contrary to what God loves. And you are a what? Intolerant. John chapter 3, verses 19 21, Jesus contrasts God's love with what the world loves. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Let me read that again. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It is not a self-centered love like the world's is. It is a selfish or selfless and sacrificial love. As we read earlier this morning, 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Which leads us to um, another point in here. God's, God's love, his instruction for us is one another. It is one another. The word that's used here is alelon, and it occurs over 100 times in the New Testament, 16 times in the instruction to love one another. And as Pastor Will mentioned a few weeks ago, one another means that it's a two-way street, right? It doesn't work if it's just one way. And we were talking about being one body. It's, it's, it's us using whatever God has given us because we are one body, and it's going back and forth and back and forth. It's not just, just giving. It's not just taking. It's back and forth. It's back and forth. The love we're receiving from Christ the head being manifested throughout the entire body. There is a, a flow, and that flow is unrestricted, and it's going just like blood vessels take blood to every part of the body. It's flowing to every single part of the body. It is reciprocal. There are 36 one another commands uh, in the New Testament that elaborate on how we can love one another as Christ has loved us. And um, I would encourage you, if you are meeting in your community groups this week or if you're doing a Bible study with one another this week um, to look up you can do it on the internet or maybe you have an app on your phone a Bible app to look up the one another verses and to read them together and to have a discussion on how we can um, grow in our love for one another since we belong one another. Before 
Again, you think about the order. Before it goes to the world, it has to go here. One another, one another means it's local. And if it is going to go out from there to love our neighbor, then that's literally going to go to our neighbor. (laughs) The people who God has placed us around. When we're praying, oh, God, who have you put in my life? Put your neighbors around it, (laughs) around you. And why is that so difficult for us to get sometimes or apply? Because one another, one another, if, if we know love by this, that he laid down our li- his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, one another is going to cost us. Just as it costs um, the Lord. And so often what we want to do when we apply Christianity is, is we want to do the things that honestly don't cost us. We want to proclaim, you know, we might want to proclaim on social media what our faith is. And we think, oh, I wrote this good post or, or I, I changed my profile picture in support of a cause. And there may be a time for that, but, but if we're honest, that doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost us a thing to love one another, to put my preferences aside for one another, to serve one another, and to serve it to the point where it costs me cost me the one another verses will cost us because we're laying down our lives for others as Christ did but again as we sang earlier only to realize what that it really didn't cost us at all Matthew 16 Jesus said whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. And then he says the main thing, or finishes his thought on the main thing. By this shall all men know, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. That is a main thing. 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Um, I would also encourage you, if you're doing a Bible study this week or if you're in a a community group this week, um, maybe a a passage you can read together is Acts chapter 20, um, where Luke describes um, Paul's missionary journey when it's time for him to leave the church in in Ephesus where he had ministered for three years. We're not going to read that today, but I would encourage you to read it. And to ask yourself um, why it hurt so much when he left the church. And to ask yourself, did he love the church? That specific church.
that local church as Christ loved the church in Ephesus? And the answer is he did. He did. When he left, um, when he left in that passage, he warns them against false doctrines and false teachers that would try to um, come in there and distort the mission or to try and take them off course, which is why he wrote to them the book of Ephesians from prison. And it's not accidental that as he's trying to safeguard them from um, the heresies that could affect the church that he opened, intentionally opened his letter to the Ephesians focusing on God's love and that he ends it focusing on God's love for them. The Apostle John may have written the Gospel of John as well as the epistles from um, the church in Ephesus. Church history tells us that he became um, the pastor in Ephesus. Maybe some, he might have written it some 20 to 30 years after Paul had written his letters or after Paul had, had died. Now you'd think that a church like Ephesus, <laughs> which had not one, but two apostles leading it wouldn't have issues and wouldn't need this type of, of um, instruction. But you know, when John received his revelation from Jesus, he told him, I have a message that I want you to send to the churches. The first church he mentions um, is the church in Ephesus. And he applauds them, just like Paul instructed them to do, guard yourself against false doctrines. He applauds them because they had built up their doctrine. They were against false doctrine. But he warned them as well. And Jesus still had these words for them. But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. And that should sober us up a little bit. If it could happen in Ephesus, it could happen here. I love how my church is loved. I was humbled um, a couple weeks ago at the retirement party we had for George and Dottie and seeing the witness that we have here in our church of, of two people who have selflessly loved others who had nothing else to offer many times but they loved them as Christ loved them and how this went this witness has gone um, throughout the world I'm humbled by that I was humbled last week um, by Pastor Abel's testimony of the people um, in this remote village in Africa who knew that the gospel is real. Why? Because they were loving them as, as Christ loved them. And we have example after example within our church of people who love one another that way. I was meeting with a brother recently whom I love and the thought came to me, I love him like my own. And 
same thing happens to this guy. If he loses everything, if lightning strikes his house or a whirlwind comes and, and, and flattens his house, he's never not going to have a roof over his head. He's never not going to have a meal. And if something, Lord forbid, ever happens to him, his children are going to be taken care of because we have this love here in this church. But could we still grow in it? Yes. Do we need to guard against our love growing cold? Absolutely yes. We should use this as an opportunity to examine ourselves. Are we using our gifts <laughs> that we received? Are we using our talents? Are we using our time and our energy, our treasures for one another? Because if we're not, if it's not flowing to one another, if it's not coming out, we should examine our hearts. I think if we do that, maybe we wouldn't be as, as, as flippant, if I may use that word, about not gathering together, about not making the effort um, to be united, or flippant about breaking fellowship at all. I'm not saying that God doesn't move people at different seasons of their lives, but, but we shouldn't be breaking fellowship or leaving churches in America over secondary things such as, as, as preference. Or if I may bold to suggest, because in our hearts we choose not to forgive one another and we hold bitterness towards one another. There's instruction also about resetting things. You know, Paul writes um, to the Corinthians because they're not breaking bread properly. They're not unified. James is, is giving them the, the church instruction on that too. They, they forget what Christ has, has done for them, that they've received forgiveness of Christ, and they're not seeing each other, one another, with the righteousness that God sees them because he sees Christ when he looks at those of us who have received Christ. I know I need forgiveness from you. I need grace from you. I have a size 13 shoes. Someone says you also have a size 20 shoes spiritually. You step on a lot of toes, Nick, and usually it's because of stuff I say. I need forgiveness. Are we seeing people, though, with that type of love? Are we seeing each other as someone who Christ paid the ultimate price for to love when you look at one another? Are, are, we, are we patting ourselves in the back in our pride because, well, Yes, I know Nick Ball, and I, I tolerate him. <laughs> and we applaud ourselves for that because we all know how, how tough it is to um, love Nick Ball. I've talked with Carol Ball before. I know these things. <laughs> As if tolerance to one another can com be compared with the love that Christ showed when he laid down his life for us. And if that's in your heart, 
if your love has gone, grown cold, crossroad, repent. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So we need to not let our guard down on this. Paul needed to remind the Ephesians after he'd been with them. A few years later, John needed to remind them as well. And, and maybe that's why John came back to, um, to Ephesus. Um, Jerome, who was an early church theologian, um, wrote about the Apostle John's final days in Ephesus. And I often wonder, after John received this, this vision in Patmos, perhaps it's then that he decided, okay, this was the, the message that, the, that God gave to the church in Ephesus, so I'm going to go back there and I'm going to teach them. And if you read through John's letters, there's so much in it about how we should love as God has loved us and how we should love one another. And we see so many of the, the, the love verses just articulated. Jerome wrote this, the blessed John, the evangelist, lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but, little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance annoyed because they always heard the same words finally said, Teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, because it is, it is the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. I'll close off with these words in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him, and he is in us. He has given assurance to us from the spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god remains in him and he in god and we have come to know and to believe the love that god has for us god is love and the one who remains in love remains in god and god remains in him in this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. 
So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. I wish we could put a suggestion box up here and we could have the 200-some members of Crossroad all write a suggestion and it would be the same suggestion that we love one another as he has loved us and that by this, our hope would be that by this, all men would know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ because we loved each other as he has loved us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this love that is not originating from us, but is the love of God. We thank you, Lord, from eternity past, Lord. You had a plan, a perfect plan, to manifest your love in this world through your son, laying down his life for us, and for calling us who believe, who call your name across the world, across church history, into a relationship with you, Lord. Those who you have loved from eternity past. And we pray, Lord, that you would take our, our church, Lord, and that we would repent, Lord, of the things we see in our hearts that do not um, cause us to love one another as we ought, as we should, or to break fellowship with one another, Father. We repent of those things. We pray, Lord, that the love of Christ would compel us to love one another and to love a fallen world, Lord. May it be said of us, until you return, Lord, that we loved one another and we loved one another well. For we received the love of God, we believed it, and we showed it to others as Christ showed it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.